Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning. morning. My name is Paul Hahn. I'm the Church Start resident here at Urban Village Church. And it is my joy, my pleasure, my honor to be with you all. We're in a sermon series called FaceTime, Overcoming Loneliness Together. And today is actually week two of our sermon series. So if you missed the first Sunday, you can go to our website or you can go to um, iTunes and you can download a podcast and you can listen to the first part of the series, not only from Wicker Park, from the other sites, from the other pastors as well. But today, we're going to talk about loneliness. We're going to talk about what it means to build authentic relationships, community, and all that good stuff. But first, would you join me in a word of prayer? Good and gracious God, we gather here this morning. Uh, regardless of how we got here, we believe that, uh, that we're supposed to be here. That in this time, as we investigate this ancient passage and this story, would our hearts and our minds be illuminated? Would we be able to see how this is our story how it's relevant and applicable to us here and now today. We open our arms, we open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to you, and we ask all these things in your son's Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, overcoming loneliness together. Before we can even talk about overcoming loneliness, we got to define what loneliness is. And for me, when I see a word, I get really fixated on it, and I need to know the uh, definition for it. So I consulted the most reliable source there is on the planet, which is, of course, the internet. And I Google searched, define loneliness. And I got a whole bunch of different uh, definitions from dictionaries and uh, Wikipedia and like psych- psychology like journals and websites and things. And the best definition that I got was loneliness is a feeling of isolation, of a lack of quality connections. It's an unpleasant, uncomfortable feeling which may induce anxiety. Now the operative word here for loneliness is feeling because I believe that loneliness is a perception. It has nothing to do with who is physically around you, how many people are with you. So, for instance, you can be by yourself. You can physically be alone and not feel lonely. Some people are alone and they think, well, you know, I got friends, family members, we're all connected, everything is great. But there are other times, there are other people 
where you might be surrounded by people. You're in a room filled with people, people that you know, and you can still totally feel lonely. You can feel like, I'm here, but I'm just another face in the crowd. I'm not connected. And so the point is this. If you feel lonely, then you are lonely. Nobody can tell you, oh, you're not really lonely. I'm your friend. I love you. You got friends all around you. Um, No. Because loneliness is how you feel about yourself and in your place in the world. So I just want to affirm that if you feel lonely this morning, it's totally okay. You're actually not alone in feeling lonely. Here's the good news. I believe that God has created you and I to live in deep, authentic community friendships and relationships. We are not supposed to be people living in isolation by ourselves, coming up with all kinds of defense mechanisms to push people away to protect ourselves. I believe that God wants us to be deeply rooted and connected with people. And so in our scripture reading today, we hear the story of two people and how they found a deep and authentic connection. It takes place after the Easter story is over. So Jesus, he's arrested, he's crucified, he dies, he goes uh, into the tomb, and three days later, he is resurrected. But the only people that knew about the resurrection were the two or three women who went to the gravesite on Easter morning and Jesus' disciples, and not even all of Jesus' disciples believed that he was really alive. The majority of people believed that Jesus was dead. And so two of his followers, Simon and Cleopas, after all that went down that Easter weekend, they were leaving Jerusalem to go back to a town called Emmaus. And these two men, Cleopas and Simon, they were distraught. Their movement, their leader, their spiritual guide, their role model, their friend, Jesus, whom they placed all their faith and trust into, was suddenly gone. What now? And I imagine that with their hearts broken, feeling abandoned and isolated and utterly dismayed, they just kind of had their heads hung low and they were walking back home to Emmaus. Now the scripture tells us that as they were walking, they encountered a stranger. But it wasn't just any ordinary stranger, it was Jesus. But these two men were kept from recognizing Jesus. Now, when I was a kid and I heard this story, I, I wondered, how did Jesus do that? Did he have a, like, a mask on his face? Or, I'm kind of a sci-fi nerd, so is he a shapeshifter? Can he like, reconfigure his face? Um, I'm also a big Game of Thrones fan, so like, is he one of those like, assassins where they can change the look on their face? If you don't watch Game of Thrones and you have no idea what I'm talking about. But I was fixated on, how did Jesus do this? And here's the thing, if you get fixated on the, uh, the miraculous nature of how some of these things happened, then you're just going to miss the point of the story. Because the story of the God, the deity, being in disguise and uh, being around among mortals and humans is actually not unique to Jesus. 
It's an ancient story. It happens in the Bible again and again and again. God goes to visit Abraham and disguises God's self as three strangers. Um, God visits Jacob and wrestles with him. There's stories in Greek mythology where Zeus disguises Zeus's self, in, whether in human form or animal form, and, and lives among the mortals. It's one of those mythology stories that have transcended time. Now, the purpose of the God in disguise story is always so that the God will test and evaluate the people that they encounter. Because here's the thing, if, if a God just appeared to people and said, ta-da, here I am, you're just going to be on your best behavior. So for instance, if you're going to meet your favorite celebrity and you know you're going to meet your favorite celebrity, then you better bet that you're going to wear your best outfit and you're just going to be your coolest self. Like, I love Robert Downey Jr. I got a big man crush on Robert Downey Jr. If I was meeting Robert Downey Jr., uh, he's only going to see the coolest version of Paul Hobbs. It just is, right? It, 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 it is. My wife tells me that all the time. So, but when you're meeting somebody and they're a stranger to you, inconspicuous, then you're just going to be you. And so Jesus is disguised and meets two of his former disciple followers and begins talking with them engaging with them, and walking along the road to the village, the town called Emmaus. And so these two disciples they share, we're so distraught, our uh, Rabbi Jesus, he's gone, and like, uh, we don't know what we're going to do. So then Jesus, he's kind of like, yeah, but, you know, I've heard of Jesus too, and I heard Jesus talk about, you know, death and resurrection, and how this isn't the end, so... And they're kind of like, yeah, 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 you know, I get that too, but he's not here right now, Right? And then they reach the village. And the two disciples, they go into their homes and they say, hey, why don't you come stay with us the night? It's late. It looks like you're going to keep going, but stay with us. Rest. Eat. And so Jesus takes them up on that offer. And they go into uh, the two disciples' home. They sit down together to share a meal. And they ask Jesus to do the blessing. And, you know, that's, that's a really nice gesture because if someone is a guest, to say, hey, would you open the meal for us? It's a really, really nice gesture. And so Jesus, he takes bread, and then he gives thanks, he breaks the bread, and just in that moment, the two disciples, they recognize, oh my gosh, it's Jesus. And again, when I was a kid reading this story, I said, what happened? Like, how did Jesus reveal? Did he pull the mask off? I don't know. doesn't matter. They recognize who Jesus is. And in that moment, as soon as they recognize him, he's gone, disappears. Was there smoke? Was, he, was it like Star Trek where he just beamed out? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Was he like Kaiser Soze in The Usual Suspects? I was going to say, like, yeah, exactly. I just totally dated myself. So if you have no idea who Kaiser Soze is, it's a great movie. Anyway, he's gone. He's gone. In the story, I think this is a story not about miracles. I don't think this is a story about how Jesus can shape change and how Jesus could be there and disappear. I don't think this is a story about proving that Jesus really rose from the dead. I think this is a story 
inviting those disciples, those early readers of the Bible, and you and I to engage into deeper relationships. There's three things from this story that I sort of pulled out that I think are really important lessons for us to know. The first one is hospitality. These two disciples are walking along the road, and they see a stranger. And if you're like me, I grew up in New York City. If a stranger comes up and tries to talk to me, I just pretend that I, did, I, I don't hear them, and I just keep walking. And if by some chance I do talk to them, the next opportunity that I get, I usually cross the street. Right? I'm like, don't invade my personal space. Like, Don't talk to me. But they extend hospitality. They're gracious. They're willing to engage with the stranger. And when they get to their home, it's not like, see ya, nice talking to you. They say, hey, why don't you come in? Why don't you wash your feet? Why don't you sit down and rest? Ha have a glass of wine. Have some bread. Eat with us. That hospitality, that invitation, is so crucial to developing that genuine, authentic encounter. The second part I, of this story that I think is really important is that the fact that they shared stories. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes small talk can get really tiresome. Like, you can only talk about the weather so much. Hey, how are you doing? How's the, oh man, it's cold outside, right? Oh, did you see the Bulls game last night? Yeah, like, how's work? Oh, good, 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 good. I'm an extrovert on the Meyer Briggs personality scale, like, I'm an E. And so, personally, I love small talk, and I can small talk until you and I were both just dead. <laughs> I can. I love it. I know. I, that's why I talk so much. But that's why I'm a pastor. Anyway, my wife, she's an introvert, and she tells me that small talk is just a form of torture for her. And so she says, when we do the passing of the peace, she's like, having to do small talk for me, is like, it just sucks, right? And so if you're one of those people and you hate the passing of the peace time, it's okay, right? Because here's the thing, small talk is superficial. When you share a story, you're going one step deeper. You're getting, you're getting more personal. Like Zach said, it, the, the mask is off. When you're sharing a story, you're talking about where I'm from, where I've been, what, who am I right now, what am I thinking and feeling? And you're just putting yourself out there. And it's that part of that sharing of the story mutually where you begin to gain an understanding and where you can really gain it and un understand and accept people. If you don't share that story, then, there's no, then you'll always stay at the superficial. And you'll all only look at the things that you see perceive with your eyes or the assumptions that you have in your head. By sharing the story, you get one step deeper. The third part of this story that I really love, it's actually my favorite part of the story, is that there's food. So they walk, they talk, there's invitation, it's great. But it's only when they sit down at the table. It's only when Jesus touches the bread. It's only when Jesus breaks the bread, ready to eat, is when the people see that this is no ordinary stranger, but they are in the midst of the divine presence of God. It's only when they're ready to eat. It's in the physicalness of the food. Now here's the thing, in ancient Middle Eastern culture, you don't just eat food with anybody. There's no such thing as like a forced business luncheon back then. Who you eat with 
is a public sign of who you accept as a friend and who you would like to do business with. So if you're seen eating with somebody, it's kind of a big deal. That's why those religious leaders, they hated the fact that Jesus ate with the sinners, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the drunkards, because in eating with them, Jesus was saying, I'm your friend. And so it's a big deal who you're eating with. And Jesus is eating with these people. It's a sign of acceptance. And then when he breaks that bread, if you're a good Christian like me, you think the immediate image that you get is, oh yeah, it's like they must have been doing like Holy Communion, like you know, instituting the ritual of the body of Christ. No. I don't think Jesus was trying to do communion at dinner before it was time to eat. I think what Jesus was demonstrating is that eating a meal, a common meal, is in itself a holy experience. It's not just when you come to church and you take communion that the bread and the juice is holy. I think when you're sitting at McDonald's or Wendy's or whatever and you're drinking a Coke and you're sharing fries and you say, who wants the last fry, you or me? It's like, I'll eat the last fry. I think it's those moments that you share a meal together that are real and authentic. It's an opportunity to break bread. It's an opportunity to see and to witness the divine. It happens when you're sitting there together and sharing that meal. I think this is a story about how we can engage deeper into authentic relationships, to move beyond the superficial. I want to close today uh, with a video clip. It's from a TED talk. It's actually a TEDx talk. And the speaker, his name is Li Munhua. And he is an author, he's a poet, he's a diversity trainer, he's a therapist. And he's going to share a story about um, something that he experienced. But I need to give you a little bit of context uh, before you watch the clip. Lee Munwa, when he was 12 years old, his mother, uh, his family owned like a grocery store, and his mother was killed in a robbery. She was shot in the head. And so he's Chinese-American, and the person that shot his mother in the head was black. Now, for Lee Munhua's father, who is also a, you know, a, a Chinese-American, that skewed his perception of the world, about race, about class. And his father's perception percolated into Lee Munhua as a young man. And that affected the way that he per saw and he perceived the world. And that's going to be really important as we watch uh, the last two minutes from this clip here. In closing, what I'd like to do is to share with this with you. It was a story that I remember quite well when I finished high school. I graduated as the president of Oakland High. And one of my best friends said to me, Manoir, why don't you come on home with me? And he was black. And I went, because oh, my father told me never to go into a black neighborhood. And I said, okay. So we kind of dragged, dragged my feet along. And as we were dragging, he goes, Munwa, catch up with me. And I just said, okay, Donald, okay. But I was really scared out of my mind of what might happen to me. And as we were walking along, what I realized to Don, what I said was, you know, Don, I know this neighborhood. And as we got closer, I said, I grew up in this neighborhood. In fact, 
this is the same block that I was born in. And Don said, wow, what a coincidence. And then we started to walk up to his house, and guess what? The house that he lived in was the house that I was born in. And I looked at Don with tears in my eyes, and I said, you know, Don, you were inviting me into your home where you were never welcomed, and I was told never to bring you home. And what I'd like to do is to tell you this today, that perhaps that is just the secret to changing the world, that each and every one of us has to take the time to walk each other home. I thank you. I think it's so easy for us to, uh, to keep things superficial. I think it's so easy for us to uh, live by our assumptions based on race, gender, sexuality, education, socioeconomic class. And we can live in those spaces and we can be really comfortable with just the people who look and live like us. But if there's anything in that this scripture tells us is that perhaps it's when we offer the invitation, perhaps when we accept the invitation of the stranger is when we can be in the midst and in the presence of something totally holy and divine that we did not know and experience before. Oh my gosh, it's so terrifying. I want to share uh, one last story as we close. Uh, I was a pastor, my first, uh, I was a youth pastor for eight years. So I worked with Korean American uh, second generation kids. So they, they're basically just younger versions of me. Their life, their experience, the food that they eat, everything is just really familiar to me. And it, I had a blast. My first church appointment as a pastor, I was sent to a church where it was 100% white, the average age of the congregation was 65 plus. So my oldest congregant member was 18, and now my youngest congregant member was like 50, right? And I, I think I just turned 30 at the time. And so I'm at this church, and it's culture shock, generation shock, everything shock, whatever, right? And I'm totally a fish out of water. There is a, a gentleman, um, his name was also Paul. This guy, he was like 72 at the time, and he always invited me over to his house. He was like, Paul, why don't you come over for a cup of coffee? We'll hang out. He's like, I heard you play guitar. We'll play some guitar together. And um, super nice, right? And uh, confession, I, I just made up some lame excuse for a year. Um, because part of me was like, man, this guy is like older than my dad. It's like, uh, it's like, I don't know, like, what do I have in common with this guy, you know? And so I, I, I just kind of blew him off for a year, you know? And, but this guy, he was persistent, you know? He didn't get a clue, or maybe he did. After about a year, he invited me over to his house, and it was actually the house that he was born in. So like. He, you know, he lived in that house for like 70-something years. 
And we sat down and we talked. We had a sandwich. We had some coffee. And I mean, I had a blast. I was so humbled that day. I felt like the biggest idiot ever because here I was, like, just saying, like, what do I and this guy have anything in common about? And somehow in that conversation, in that meal, in that invitation, I was the recipient of Christ. And I realized that beyond the superficiality, this man, he was just a kindred spirit. And so I encourage you, I invite you to send those invitations out and to accept those invitations as well. Would you join me in prayer? Good and gracious God, you are here in our midst. You are here in our lives. You are here in the relationships that we have and in the relationships that we have yet to have. God, it is so hard to live in loneliness, and it's even harder being lonely living in a city of millions of people. We don't really know the answers for ourselves, so we look to you for your help, your strength, and support. We ask that this morning, that through the power of your Spirit, that you would fill us, inspire us, encourage us, and prod us to step out of our comfort zone, to accept those invitations that we've been turning down, and to extend those invitations that we know that we should have extended uh, weeks, months, years ago. Because, God, we want to be able to experience the divine presence of your holiness through the relationships, through the stories, through the meals, and through those invitations. Would you move within our hearts today? We ask all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.